and in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, we're going to look at a topic that isn't always taught on. This is a chapter that deals with food that is offered to idols or other gods. How should we handle our Christian liberty? 1 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning with verse number 1. Now, as touching things offered to idols, we know that we have all knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but charity edifies. And if any man think that he knows anything, he knows nothing as he ought to know. But if any man love God, the same is known of him. If you've ever taken the time to read Corinthians, then you understand Paul is teaching on a variety of different topics. And all of these require a lot of insight, a lot of wisdom, clarity. He spoke to them early on about the divisions that people have sometimes amongst Christians. Some people say, I'm of Apollo or I'm of Peter. We would say it this way, I'm Lutheran or I'm Wesleyan. And Paul was going out of his way to try to help us to see that these divisions don't necessarily come from Christ, but they come from our love of a personality. Later on, he talks about issues in the church connected with marriage, divorce, the need for marriage. He talks about things connected with the Lord's Supper, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, of Christians going to court against one another. But when we look here in verse 1, notice here it talks about things that are offered to idols. Now you would wonder why anybody would offer foods to idols, or should say offer any kind of vegetables or anything to a god or to a statue, but people did that in ancient times because they thought that would make the gods happy. So sometimes people would make a plate of rice or some bowls of something. But in verse 1 then, when it says that knowledge puffs up, it's telling us that just because we know things, that doesn't necessarily mean that our knowledge is the best. Much more important than having a lot of knowledge is to be able to walk in love. And Paul says that charity is what edifies. It builds us up. If we love people, it encourages folks. But to just have a lot of knowledge, you can have knowledge but not love people and hold that knowledge in a selfish way or even in an arrogant way. And you may be here this morning and be very intelligent and know more than other people about certain topics, but if you don't have love in your heart, then you're not going to produce what Paul is after in this particular chapter. Now, we've all met people who know everything. But, you know, it's better to know something well than to know everything and not know it in a good way at all. And Paul here is discussing the fact that we know in part, in verse 2, no one knows anything as they ought to know. 
You could be the best mechanic. There's more to learn. You could be the best cook or baker. There's still more to learn. Someone could believe they're the best minister. There's always more a person can learn. And so in verse number 3, he tells us that if we love God, the same is known of him. If I love God and you love God, then that shows we have a relationship with God. No one has seen God, but the scriptures are very clear that if we love him, then we're going to act like him. We have a tendency to take on the character of whatever we worship. If we love God with our whole heart, then quite naturally our heart's going to be flooded with an affection for God. If we have an affection for God, we'll want to be like God. Now verse 4 tells us, in regards to eating things that are offered in sacrifice, we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is none other God but one. What is an idol? A statue? A figurine. If you go outside some of the Chinese restaurants as you're walking in, you notice that the entrance very often they'll have statues that are there for good luck. If you've ever seen pictures of people that worship in Hinduism, then you know that they have images of a variety of different kinds of gods. But why would anyone want a god that you can pick up and move from one place to another? Why would anybody want a God that you can carry from one shelf to another or a God that you can carry around in your back pocket? But millions of people worship all kinds of idols. Think of some of the African countries where people gather around the tree and worship there because they believe the tree is inhabited by God. Think of places in the Far East or Central Asia where they'll go out to a mountain believing that their gods come to that mountain at a certain time of the year and they worship on that mountain. Consider the number of people that take the remains of their loved ones and put them in a urn and put them on a shelf and like the Shintoists do in Japan, bow down and pray to their ancestors. There are a lot of gods that are in the world, but Paul says in reality they are not gods, there's only one God. So he goes on in verse 5 and says, Though there be those that are called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there be many gods and lords many, but to us there is but one God, the Father, of whom are all things. He's saying God made everything. Our God created everything. He's affirming Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I was telling them in Sunday school this morning, the way God designed creation is he created the conditions and the atmosphere, and then he created the living creatures. So he made sure there was light. He made sure that there was an earth. He made sure there were waters. And then he created the fishes that would be in the waters, the people that are on the earth. And then within the vegetation and the human realm, he created the kinds of entities that could produce seed to reproduce after its own kind. So we then, as believers, understand that it is God who's the maker of the heaven and earth, not evolution, but God. God. 
The design of God is what we have in the Word of God. God designed male and female. He said, to us there is but one God, the Father. Satan is not a God other than a God of this world. He's a created being. We don't worship the Muslim God. We're not involved with the gods of the ancient Greeks and Romans. We don't participate in any kind of religion that lifts up any deity other than God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So it's clear then that we, as the Scripture says in verse 6, are in him, and there's one Lord Jesus Christ. Now in verse 5 at the end, he said there are many lords. In ancient times, the Egyptians believed the Pharaoh was a lord and a representation of God. And in other cultures, there were plenty of people who were called lords. Even in England, they had a group of people who, com who comprised the house of lords. The word lord was a title that simply meant a person was in charge, a person was in leadership. But Paul is saying, we have one Lord, his name is Jesus. He's Lord of all, he's Lord of hosts, he's in charge of everything. Now having that knowledge then, he says in verse 6, it is by whom all things exist. They made every star, the Godhead created every mountain, and when we think about the creation of God, we don't ever want to lose touch with what the Bible teaches. In six days, God made the heavens and the earth, and the seventh day, he rested. All the people in the Old Testament and New Testament, when they talk about creation, they cite Genesis chapter 1. This is why I don't spend a whole lot of time arguing with people about how old the earth is. It really doesn't make any difference. What I do know is who made it all, and that's God. Well, if somebody says to me, well, don't you understand that 450 million years ago such and such happened, then I'll ask the question, how do you know it wasn't 449 million years ago? Why is it at 450? And I said, even with that, here is what I do know. God made all of this, and since I only have about 6,000 years of recorded history in the Bible, that's all I'm going to preach. There's no sense in me theorizing about what somebody else thinks happened way back in the far gone years. There's no guarantee there even was something back there. But I do know I can start with Adam and Eve and preach the gospel. You say, well, Pastor, do you ever uh, preach about the Jurassic animals, you know, and the dinosaurs and all of that, if you can find where Isaiah prophesied about them or where Moses wrote about them or where Peter preached about them, then I'll preach about them. But so long as the gospel deals with preaching to people whose souls are lost, that's all I'm going to talk about. All these other things, I don't care what a pterodactyl looks like, not interested in a Tyrannosaurus Rex or anything like that. All I want to do is proclaim what the early church proclaimed. And if we do that, we'll see people's lives edified by the Word of God. 
So Paul says here in verse 7, Howbeit there is not in every man that knowledge. For some with the conscience of the idol unto this very hour eat a thing offered unto an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. Do you know if you lead a Jewish person to Christ or a Muslim person to Christ that they often struggle with eating pork? They were raised to believe that pork is bad for you and it's against their religion. And when they become a Christian, it's very difficult for them to engage in things that they have been told for so long is a sin. It would be like many of you that were raised in church and you were told that holding a deck of cards in your hands was bad or sinful. And you probably can still remember the first time you picked the cards up and learned to play pitch and your conscience was attacking you the whole time you were shuffling the deck. Well, plenty of people come out of things into the kingdom of God only to believe that they still should avoid it as a Christian, Paul says here, a person's conscience is weak. I've had plenty of people say to me, well, you know, you're not supposed to eat pork, you're not supposed to eat shrimp and catfish, because the Bible says all of that is bad for your health. That's what they tell me. It's just bad for your health. And, and I've given the Bible to people in many years past and said, show me where it says it's bad for your health. And then they start quoting some scriptures out of the Old Testament. Well, Paul says in verse number 8, Meat does not commend us to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, and neither if we do not eat are we the worse. If there are certain things in your diet you don't want, you don't have to eat. But just because you don't like them, you don't have to put that on me. I realize there's certain people don't like vegetables. There's certain people don't like certain kinds of meat. Some people don't like wild, gamey meat. I like everything. And because I like everything, I try everything. But there still are people opposed to certain things. They try to mix the law with grace. About 10 to 15 years ago out here, there was a movement of uh, Christians that were avoiding certain things because they were going back up under the law. They just thought that if you say Jesus, that was wrong. You have to say Yeshua, the Hebrew term. And they got to where they didn't want anybody to have pork. And it's just not good to go to church on a Sunday. You've got to do it on the Sabbath day. And there was this whole little movement that was breaking out with people, but yet they were trying to keep parts of the law, but didn't want to keep all of the law. And the Bible says, He that offends in one aspect of the law is guilty of it all. Now go to Leviticus. I want to show you something. Leviticus chapter 11. And I want you to see what the Lord said to them about different kinds of food. Leviticus 11. In verse number 2, Leviticus is your third book of the Bible. Leviticus number 
11, excuse me, chapter 11, verse 2, speak to the children of Israel, and these are the beasts or animals that you shall eat among all the beasts that are on the earth. Whatever parts the hoof and is cloven-footed and cheweth the cud among the beasts, that shall ye eat. So they sacrificed cows and bulls and goats and sheep. Verse 4, Nevertheless, these shall you not eat of them that chew the cud, or of them that divide the hoof, as the camel, because he chews the cud, but he is unclean to you. Verse 5, the coney, that's like a beaver. In northern Israel, these furry animals live in the rocks. And whenever we go there and take a tour with people, folks are always amazed to see these these beaver-like uh, animals come out from the rocks and sit up there and sun themselves. And when anything comes close, they go back down in the rock. You say, what's their predator? Birds of the air, hawks, and eagles. And so when they spot one coming, they start making all kinds of noise, and they go right into the rocks where the big birds can't get them. What's the next one they, they're supposed to avoid? The rabbit. Anybody in here ever had rabbit before? I've had rabbit before. I love rabbit. Oh, my goodness. What says here? You're not supposed to eat that. Verse 7, swine. Anybody here like pig? I love pig. I love bacon. If you don't want your bacon, give it to me. I don't know that I've even had any kind of food that has, that, that's been wrapped in bacon that doesn't taste good. Bacon just does anything to make something better. Okay, but verse 8 says, of their flesh, you shouldn't eat it. If they're dead, you shouldn't touch them. Then verses 9 and 10 talks about the fish in the waters that have fins and scales. Anybody here like catfish? I do. How about walleye? I do. Anybody like perch and bass and whiting? I do. How about crappie? I do. Don't they have fins? Yeah. Look at verse 10. And all that have not fins and scales in the seas. You say, what doesn't have a fin? Well, if anybody in here likes sushi, if you've ever had sushi wrapped in eel skin, see, I like that too. Yeah. You see, pastor likes it all. Verse 11. They shall even be an abomination unto you. You shall not eat of their flesh, but you shall have their carcasses. So people will say to me, well, here, the, the Bible says all of this stuff is bad for your health. And then I say to them, God didn't tell them it was bad for their health. God told them it was unclean to them. So it was the Lord that specifically chose certain animals that they could eat and could not eat. Because remember, in the beginning, God made everything. He caused the fishes of the sea to multiply. He caused the animals to multiply on the land. Adam and Eve sinned. People left the garden. People started making sacrifices to God, animal sacrifices to God. People started hunting. People started eating. And from the Genesis time right on up to Moses received the law, people ate whatever they wanted to eat. There was no law. But God comes along and he says, this is clean, this is unclean. Kind of like what he did with Noah. He said, no, when you build the ark, certain animals. You're going to take up 
there on that ark, two by two. When he came off the ark, he offered in sacrifice certain animals. Well, notice in verse 13, he talks about the birds of the air that they should not eat. The eagle, osprey, ostrich, vulture, the kite, every raven after its kind, the owl and night hawk, the little owl, verse 18, the swan, the pelican, verse 19, the stork and heron, all of these fowls, he says to them, don't eat. Now, most of you in here, I would assume, have never eaten those anyhow, and you're not even interested in eating them. I think if somebody came to your house or invited you to dinner, and they said, Bren, we've made a nice succulent plate of raven for you. I'm almost certain Bren would decide to fast that meal. And some of you also, somebody invited you over and said, look, I just trapped some owls. And I would love for you to have some owl breast. I can tell you right now, it would go nowhere with my wife. She wouldn't even go near the plate. Well, let's go on further in chapter 11. Look at verse number 22. But of these you may eat. So he says these you can eat. The locust, the grasshopper, and the beetle. Anybody in here ever ate locusts before? Anybody in here ever had beetles before? Well, this is what God said you can have. Why aren't you eating it? I mean, all the people who say that we're not supposed to eat pork, and we're not supposed to eat this, and we're not supposed to eat that, the Lord comes along and tells us, you can have a wonderfully prepared beetle, and it's healthy for you, and people don't want it at all. Okay, I went through all of that to take you to 1 Timothy. Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy 4. There are plenty of people that are in bondage about this kind of stuff. And I have seen people get into arguments over this. I remember in one of the other churches I had a, a, a mom that came with her adult kids, and I was teaching through Galatians. And somehow or another I got on this, this whole idea about you can eat whatever you want and don't let people put their restrictions and convictions on you when it comes to food. She wasn't happy about that, but she had raised her kids to never touch anything that was pork. But then we had a potluck at that particular time, and I watched her adult kids going through that line, putting all of that ham and bacon and pork chops and all that stuff on the plate, and the mom was looking at them, asking them what they were doing. They said, look, we're free. And they just started eating all that. Well, she never came back because she was upset at the idea that I would teach that you could eat these things. Notice First Timothy verse 4. Excuse me, First Timothy 4 verse 1. The Spirit speaks expressly in the latter time some shall depart from the faith given heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. What's a seducing spirit? A spirit that uses seduction. Enchantment, attraction, fascination to get your attention. 
And out of that comes a teaching or a doctrine that promotes itself within your heart or your life. Well, verse 2, speaking lies and hypocrisy. What's a hypocrite? Someone that pretends to be this or that, but is untruthful. Verse 3, forbidding to marry. Anyone who tells people they should not get married in the last days, you can see from verse 1, that is a seducing spirit that tries to do that. So a nation that is opposed to that, that's not good. Commanding people to abstain from meats. Why would anybody tell somebody what to eat and not to eat? Why go out of your way to try to explain to me that I should not eat squirrel as much as pastor likes squirrel? Why would someone tell me to, to avoid my mama's favorite delicacy for me, which is my barbecue pig feet? Why should I walk away from that? And if you were raised in the South somewhere and you were raised to eat raccoon, and I've had that, and you have those kinds of things, why then in the last days would people be telling people to abstain from these meats? It's because there's something pushing that. There's a spirit governing that. Tiff and I have a friend that was raised down in Central America. He told me that for his family, they were raised eating iguana. Think about that. All over this world, folks, people eat foods they shouldn't eat. I could have kept you going through Leviticus 11 and showed you where you're not supposed to eat mice and rats and bats. But I was in Indonesia one time, and that's what was on the menu. They took me after an evening service. We got to the restaurant at 11 o'clock at night. I sat down, couldn't understand anything in the Indonesian language, had somebody there to interpret for me. And so I'm looking at all of this stuff, and there's no pictures or anything. And I said, well, what's this? Because everybody else has already ordered. They're waiting on me. They said, well, what's this? They said, that's, that's, uh, that's cat. C-A-T, cat. Feline, cat. I said, well, no, that'll, that'll never do. I said, well, what's this here? They said, that's rat, R-A-T. It's on the menu. I'm looking at it. And I said, well, no, I don't, <laughs> I don't think I want that either. And, and then I said, well, how about this one right here? They said, that's bat, B-A-T. So pastor, having had that wonderful service and, and terribly hungry, I decided that evening I'd just go to bed fasting. And that is exactly what I did. I didn't eat anything that evening. Now watch this. Verse 3, commanding people to abstain from meats which God had created to be received with what? Thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. All over this earth, cultures eat things that we don't eat. And it's wrong for us to tell them what to eat. Scripture says here, which believe and know the truth. The truth of what? Verse 4, that every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. We live in the New Testament. We live under the New Covenant, and people have a right to eat what they want to eat without anybody putting their convictions on them and making them feel ashamed. 
So the next time you put that bacon in your mouth, don't you feel bad at all. The next time you eat something that you enjoy, don't feel bad at all, because it's right here in 1 Timothy 4. Every creature of God is good. It doesn't necessarily mean you have to like it. And I'm not telling you that you've got to eat everything that somebody puts in front of you, because I know there's some of you in here, it doesn't matter what they put. If it's not something you want, you're not going to eat it. But I can tell you this. I've had this pretty little girl all over the planet, and she's eating some things that she probably wouldn't eat here in America. Yeah. When I lived in the Middle East, I'd go down there to the market to buy meat, and they have slabs of meat hanging from hooks right in the market, and, and there was no plastic over them. There was no shrink wrap. I mean, that meat was exposed and t- to the environment and atmosphere. I'd be down there watching a thousand flies down there having a buffet enjoying themselves, and I knew that something was coming off that hook and coming to our house and going to end up in a frying pan or in the oven, and we'd be eating it pretty soon. You said, did you complain? Not one time. Not one time. Tiffany and I were in the, right on the border of Kenya and Tanzania. We were actually in Tanzania, but the, the Maasai tribe who we were preaching for, we got to that little area, the little church out in the middle of nowhere, and when we pulled in, we're getting ready to walk into that church, and there's a little goat tied to a tree. And I didn't even bother to mention to Tiff. I already knew that was lunch. But but we just got out of that vehicle, went on there, in there for the service. And I'm telling you, while we were in there praising God, I knew what was happening on the outside. That goat was being sacrificed. That baby goat lost his life. And, and when we got out there, they had that goat on the skewer. And they had cooked that meat up, and I watched when they were going by all the elders and the men, and they were shaving that meat off, you know, to make sure everybody had a piece. And they gave that, they brought that skewer to Tiffany, (laughs) and they put that in front of her and shaved it. And I've got a picture of her taking that meat and just looking at it. She's just staring at it. Pretty soon she put it in her mouth. But she was just staring at it. We were at another location. When we got to the Maasai people, it was the custom to save the best parts of the animal for the elders of the tribe and for the ministers. So, of course, the best parts are the organs. So they had butchered this meat. All the men were sitting up there on the porch area. I was sitting up there with them. They brought us some of the organs, heart, liver, so on. And so I'm up there with everybody else. I'm just eating it just like everybody else and enjoying myself and smiling. I watched as they made their way over there to the car, the SUV, where my wife was. Now, I had tried to tell Tiffany, I said, now, now look, I don't think this is going to be, in so many words, I don't think this is going to be as bad as you think, but I, I don't recall, I don't even know if she ever even rolled the window down for her. It came over there. She didn't want to have anything to do with that food. Now, let's go back to 1 Corinthians 8, and look at what it says again in verse 8. Meat does not commend us to God. For neither are we better if we do eat, and we're not worse if we don't eat. But verse 9, take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to those that are weak. 
if you know that there's a person who doesn't like pork and it bothers them in their conscience, if you were to invite them over for a meal, don't just have that as the only meat on the table. That's offensive. That's what he's saying. You cause a person to stumble. If, if, if you know that a person has no desire at all to eat a certain thing because of their background, it used to be offered to idols. idols. <coughs> Excuse me. Don't try to give it to them now as a Christian when you know they're struggling. Now, the Hindu people, they oftentimes will make sacrifices of rice and vegetables. Sometimes they come out of that and become a Christian, and now that they are a believer, they want to avoid some of the foods that they once took and put in front of statues. Don't, don't mock them. Don't criticize them and make them feel bad. Verse 10 says, If any man see you which have knowledge sitting at meat in the idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him that is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols. Be very careful about the example that you set for people regarding what you eat. You don't want to cause people to stumble. You want people to stand strong in their faith with God. And Paul was free, as I am and as you should be. We look at what's on this earth, and if we have to eat it to survive then the Scripture says all meats are to be received with thanksgiving and nothing to be refused, for it is sanctified by the word of prayer. Believe me when I tell you, there have been times at certain meals I've said grace before I ate, and I said it again after I was done. Yeah. I've done that in America. If you've, ever, if you've ever sat where you weren't sure what exactly it was, look at verse, verse 11. And through your knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. But when you sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you're sinning against Christ. Pay attention to how you interact with someone who's weaker in the faith. Paul is talking about food here, but it could be anything. A person raised in a tradition where they were taught that a young lady should never wear a pair of pants but only wear a skirt. Do you understand how difficult it is to move a person over into this area when they've heard all their life? So if I, if I had to come to the conclusion then that a certain kind of meat was a problem for you, then I don't want you to backslide and I don't want to be so arrogant and self-righteous in my opinion that I'm just going to say, look, this is just who I am and if you don't like it, tough. That's not right. Be honorable. This is if you invite someone with you. If you're going out to a restaurant, you're free to eat whatever you want. You're paying for it. If you go to someone else's house and they invite you over and they have something you don't particularly like, if it's a matter of your conscience, then you just you can let them know 
for conscience sake, I wouldn't eat that. But I bring you back to Paul, and I would ask the question, why does your conscience bother you? Why would it bother you to have a lamb chop? Now, a dietitian or a nutritionist might have told you that it's bad for your cholesterol, and that may be true, and I don't get involved with anything with regard to your diet and your doctor. You do whatever you want. But for religious purposes, no one can tell you that certain kinds of meats are wrong. Yeah, absolutely not. So our liberty is great and it's broad in the kingdom of God. And I hope and pray that the next time you look at 1 Corinthians 8, you'll remember that all the creatures that God had made in his mind, he said, they're good. I've already told you about the kinds of things I've eaten and wouldn't eat. And I know all of you have your own menu also. But I'll tell you one thing, of all the fellowships in this region, I don't think anybody does dinner on the grounds or potluck like our tea. We do the best potlucks on planet Earth. And whenever we've had people pass away and we feed people after us, I always have people coming to me saying, Pastor, I don't know how your ladies and guys put it together, but the meals you prepare at funerals are so much better than the little chips and snacks and uh, hors d'oeuvres that they put together in other places. Well, I was raised by folks from the South, spent a lot of time in the South, and people ate well at funerals. So I brought that tradition back up here. We're not like some churches where when somebody passes away, they charge the family in order to feed the family. Absolutely not. From day one, we made sure that the decedent's family and everybody that attended ate very well. And I thank the Lord for that. Praise God. Come on, let's stand. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Look at here, you folks getting out of here earlier than you ever get out of here with me. You better believe it. But how many of you are glad you found that verse in 1 Timothy 4 that says you can eat whatever you want? Yeah, read that to your doctor the next time he's talking to you about your cholesterol. Yeah. Say, God told me I can eat it if I'm thankful. <laughs> so we're all thankful for some things we know aren't the best us, but Father, we love you. We appreciate you. We're grateful, God, for all that's in your word because you placed it in there thousands of years ago. And we know you're smarter than the mind of man. But Lord, help us to honor your word, but also to know that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit and you do expect us to look after ourselves. So give us wisdom and insight to do so. These things we pray for in Jesus' mighty name, and everyone said, Amen, 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 Amen. See, Blake.